0: Use promo code MADNESS50. That's MADNESS50 to secure your limited time welcome bonus today. a heartbreaker on the hardwood and then actually lose key components both the offense and the defense for 2021 football i guess just another day in the life another week for the oklahoma sports factory that is the sooner nation what's up everybody i'm matt Hofeld along with rich DeCray. this is the sooner nation podcast we're going to talk a little bit of uh, oklahoma hoops here at the onset then we got true or false with me asking rich the questions this week and then we'll end up uh, closing out the last half of the podcast with some some more in-depth football conversation centered around players leaving, players staying, and players that are coming in. Rich, how you doing, buddy? I'm all right. All Can't right. complain. Can't well, complain. Well, let's just jump right into this. Back-to-back losses for Oklahoma. They they kind of you could tell watching that Baylor game. You know, 76-61 was the final. You you could tell they were outmatched against Baylor they just came off the big upset win over number nine, West Virginia. They go to Waco and they lose by 15. And then, you know, really backs against the wall going on the road at number six, Kansas. It was the completion of four consecutive top 15 opponents for Oklahoma. You didn't have Brady Manick. You didn't have Jalen Hill. And they really, I mean, they took Kansas to the wire. I, I, I Oklahoma is a team that's we've talked about it. I've, I've teased you about Mo Gibson. You've, You've got of shot your your shots back, but this is a team that Lon Kruger I think has found their identity with the that tenacity, in your face defensive effort. And if you would have told me, no Brady, no Brady Manning, no Jalen Hill, and then they're only going to lose by four at Lawrence, I would have been shocked. But is this a team that now you you feel like sitting at six and four overall on the season through their first ten games? Can you say their identity now is officially a defensive first uh, basketball team?
1: I will say this as we kind of kick this discussion off, Matt, is one thing that we know about this team is that they are a veteran team. There are players who have quite a bit of experience at the Division I level, specifically within the Big 12. And, of course, you've mentioned – Brady Manick, but it does go beyond just that singular name. And when we also look at this team, one thing I think you'll quickly find is that there is some length there that exists on this roster and Oklahoma, more specifically Lon Kruger has really found a way to utilize that to give some of these teams a little bit of an issue. Now Baylor where where I really want to start when it comes to Baylor is Baylor's the number two team in the country. They're Mm -hmm. undefeated for a reason. And, when you and go, I think
0: Texas may be better, by the way.
1: Really? Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that later when, on. When but. you go up against a team like Baylor, you know that you you've got to play a complete game if you're going to beat them. And it's just because of the brand of basketball that they've really established here over the past few years. We'll get to the Texas conversation here in a moment, as you've mentioned, Matt. But I do know that the Big 12 from top to bottom is a pretty difficult conference to compete in. Mm -hmm. When it comes to basketball specifically, Oklahoma finding themselves somewhere in the middle of that. I I do believe, sitting at 6-4, and that this team is better than that record. But given the – sure, they got the one upset of West Virginia – and then you look at the the couple of losses to ranked opponents here. This Oklahoma team, I said, was going to surprise some people, and I still think that they're on track I think they've surprised West that. Virginia. That's Did for they sure. That's for sure. I still think they're on track to do that. Um, don't count this team out of any game at any point unless they have a dismal, dismal shooting performance. Because as we know, well, I think de- that's what defense, we saw at Baylor. It right. Was the, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Is defense can't pave the way every time. Right. You have to score points to stay in the game.
0: They they forced sixteen turnovers against Kansas and six blocked shots. Um, yeah, that defense has to translate into offense. They they outscored the Jayhawks thirty three to thirty one in the first half, but then just kind of fell back by six in the second half. Um, but you're absolutely right. And when you when you look at the Big Twelve, the the way it's shaping up in my in my humble opinion is that I, oh there's clearly a top tier in the Big Twelve. And clearly Oklahoma's not on that top tier at this point. But I don't think they're a team that, that you can count. I mean, I hate to use this uh, illustration on a, on a year like it is, but, I mean, Iowa State's not a good basketball team this year. Kansas State, not a good basketball team this year. And so there are certain teams, and there's always in every sport, there are certain teams you're like, yep, that's a layup. That, that's a game that, that you, you just have to win. Oklahoma's definitely not in that category. And when you look at how the schedule's shaken up now, the next game is coming up Tuesday night. We're recording this on a Monday night, but TCU, TCU is in that category. When you're playing the Horn Frogs at home, you've already beaten them on the road. That's a must-win for the University of Oklahoma. When you've lost three of your last four games against top 15 opponents,
1: is it not? Yeah, and it's it's definitely a game that's winnable for Oklahoma. I know Oklahoma will be heavily favored in that because of their previous mess, uh, match-up, regardless of what the records say. At this point in time, you're looking across the board and and you're saying, again, Oklahoma, the better team, they're going to compete throughout the remainder of the Big 12. We see them scoring 77 points a game versus TCU, 69 points a game. Field goal percentage, of course, is going to hover right in that 44, 45 range for most teams that are that do have a winning record, let's put it that way. For most teams that have a winning record, Oklahoma is going to move the ball, but the defense is, is ultimately what's going to set them apart here, as you've mentioned. One thing I will say, Matt, is I, I do believe this has to be a must-win game for TCU as well. Both Oklahoma as well as TCU are riding two-game losing streaks at this point. I know they would like to turn that around instead of whether it's Oklahoma or TCU, instead of extending that to three.
0: So you've got two games that we think are winnable and I feel like must-win games. They're both games, Aaron Norman, TCU, and Kansas State. But sandwiched in between those two games is the first round of Bedlam coming up on Saturday on the 16th of this month. After you see Oklahoma, what they did at Lawrence, what they did at Baylor, on the road against two of the better programs in the Big 12, do you see Bedlam in Stillwater as a winnable game for this team?
1: Oklahoma State's not been what I thought they would be. And that's such a shame for me personally because you're looking at an Oklahoma State Cowboys team who has Cade Cunningham, who projects as the number one overall draft pick in the upcoming NBA draft, combined with this disappointment of being banned from the offseason. There's not a whole lot to play for if you're if you're an Oklahoma State Cowboy. There's not a whole lot to look forward to Specifically in the postseason, if you're an Oklahoma State Cowboy fan, when it comes to Bedlam, I think you can throw a lot of guesses. You can throw a lot of these paper statistics out of the equation because it is ultimately some kind of a rivalry, Mm -hmm. regardless of how you want to look at that. I know it's not football numbers, but when you look at Oklahoma, Matt, you and I had this conversation the other day. How How many teams in the Big 12 does Oklahoma have a losing record to? One. It's one. It's Kansas. Right. And so when you look at Oklahoma State, I'm not saying it's a lopsided kind of rivalry or pairing of in-state teams, but the reality is despite having that number one team – or excuse me, number one player – in the country, number one draft pick, I should say, because I don't know that he's going to win the, the Player of the Year award. But having that future number one draft pick, I think this is a team that, that has failed to live up to their expectations. And maybe that's because Cade Cunningham, and there's a lot of focus that's been put on him. Trey Young uh, effect. But maybe it's because Cade Cunningham ultimately has a high ceiling but hasn't realized his full potential yet. Okay, so let's look at the Big 12. I've got it kind of – there. there's the upper tier –
0: so you got Baylor, Texas. To me, those are the two best teams in the Big 12 right now. And I think Texas, I give Texas a nod above Baylor at this point. I, I can't. Well, we'll see. We'll I see. I mean, time, time will tell. Both of them 4-0 in conference. Kansas at 4-1. They're only lost to Texas. Well, then Texas Tech at 3-2. So I you start going downhill once you get to Kansas, which is weird to say because the the Jayhawks have dominated this conference for so long. But Baylor, Texas, clear the top two teams right now in this conference. Kansas, you start your heading downhill. Texas Tech continues that slide, and then you get to where all these teams are jumped in the middle, and it's Oklahoma State, TCU, West Virginia, Oklahoma, all sitting there two and three in conference play. So you've got this giant bubble in the middle till you get to the bottom part of the conference where you see Kansas State at one and four and Iowa State zero and five. I don't think. I, I don't think a top four finish is out of the question for Oklahoma at this point, but this, this upcoming schedule is going to determine that TCU, Oklahoma state, Kansas state. And then, and then you're back, you're back into the, you know, into the, the face the Goliaths again, because it's, it's, it's Kansas and Norman. And then you go to Austin. So this next three game stretch, in my opinion, is critical for Oklahoma. If you're looking at potentially a top four finish in the big 12
1: conference. I'm not going to disagree with you obviously when it comes to how things are going to shake out. We know that Oklahoma has had some games canceled. I'm not anticipating that anytime in in conference play. I think they do have some kind of routine figured out at this point in time, but you're looking at winnable games versus games that Oklahoma should lose. And as you begin to stack those two things on different scales, these are those four games. It's it's this run of several games where you do believe Oklahoma can actually make a push and can gain some wins and, and edge closer towards that mark of 20. I don't know that they're going to hit that. I, I don't know that they won't. But without those couple of games up front, it seems as though it's a little more unlikely than it is likely to me. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, um, we are going to start transitioning into football conversations. We've got true or false coming up. And there may be, Rich, just to give you a heads up, there may be a basketball question in true or false, but then the transition to football officially takes place. All right, so we're going to jump into the true or false. I'm bumping that up a little bit into the podcast format for this episode because I don't, I mean, I feel like we're going to come back to some of these topics. And I hate it whenever we just like sacrifice a topic for the sake of true or false. So we're going to introduce some of these topics we're going to get back to later on in the podcast by getting your initial thoughts on true or false. Is that, is that okay with you, Rich? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so I've got five questions true or false. You're going to tell me whether they're true or false and why you believe that to be that way okay so here we go number one sticking with basketball we just finished our opening segment totally dedicated to basketball as we make that transition to football here's the last question the last thing on basketball despite losing three of the last four games oklahoma basketball is still in good shape for the ncaa tournament
1: i do have to agree with that and the answer is true not that i have to agree with that statement but the answer is true and it's simply for these reasons which we've briefly discussed previously. From top to bottom, this will go down as as possibly. I'm just going to put it out there into the universe right now. This will go down as the best basketball conference in the country this season. When you look at having three teams in the top ten and you look at getting a win, maybe even two, maybe three wins over those. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but mm-hmm. that ultimately for me would punch the ticket for Oklahoma. What I do believe Oklahoma needs to do is finish within the top five. If they want to make that NCAA uh, birth And the large, the large portion of me says this, that the top six will make it sevens pushing it for the conference this year. But as as long as you're in the top five, I, I think you're safe.
0: Oh, I agree. You're safe at the top five and you and I always seem to have, the disagreement on the number of Big Twelve teams that are gonna make the tournament because I think it's gonna be seven to eight teams in the big because of what you're saying, how right. deep this conference is. Really the the drop off in the Big Twelve, like the, the final draw where you go off the cliff, I was thinking Kansas is State. at the bottom two. Everybody else is gonna be uber competitive. And when you look at that you see everyone at two and three right now. Mm-hmm. And so that I think that's I, I think with a losing record in conference. You could still get in to the NCAA tournament, which because, is
1: something that's not unheard of because right. Oklahoma has done that in the past. A losing record, a nine and eleven record in conference play, but still earning that NCAA tournament berth.
0: Oh, for sure. Okay. So here we go. Um, and by the way, you've already got the marquee win. One marquee win. One, one, with two, West Virginia. Two,
1: two does it for me.
0: Yeah. And and you know, you look at the non conference, you got Alabama coming up. You've got the win over ORU. You've got some things going for you if you're a long Kruger. All right, here we go. Number two. Uh, moving to football now. Oklahoma must look at the JUCO route in order to round out the 2021 recruiting class.
1: That's a difficult one for me because I, I do believe that there are some positions of need, Matt. But when it comes to this class, I think Lincoln Riley has intentionally kept it at that 16 number instead of pushing for 24 or 25 recruits. So I'm going to say False at this point there are there are some recruits some some kids who remain uncommitted at this point in time and have not signed with any program for that matter which oklahoma was listed in the top four and i'm specifically looking at the running back position with lj johnson lj Mm -hmm. lj johnson who is a recruit out of texas he's in the top 40 nationally nationally may not be in the top five at his position, but is in the top 40 nationally. And that's nothing nothing to scoff at, in my opinion. Yeah. So when you're looking at needs that Oklahoma has, they're certainly going to need to address them. I just don't know that it's an absolute must in the 2021 class. I do believe you can address some of those in the 2022 class instead. Okay, so we're going to come back to that because I,
0: I want to hear your uh, Southern food just to be thinking about. I want to hear what you feel are must haves for Oklahoma right now, kind of fill in the blanks of what they don't have in these 16 players that are committed. And then, then what, what is now you would think based off of what the, uh, what the social media world did today or two, two weeks ago, you would, you would think that this is a, like a bottom 50 class in the NCAA, but it is a top 10 class. The so number one in the big 12, but I want to know where you're filling the blanks are. Okay, here we go. Number three, um, Ramondre Stevenson leaving early for the NFL hurts worse than Ronnie Perkins leaving. Absolutely not. Is that my true or false That's question? True. The, the statement? That's true or false. The statement is Ramondre Stevenson leaving early hurts worse than Ronnie Perkins. That one is false.
1: I think the Ramondre Stevenson news was softened by the fact that, at least it's largely believed and numerous outlets have published, the fact that Kennedy Brooks has opted to return to this program we saw what we have in the backfield we saw the stable of backs even though Oklahoma has yet to land one in this class and only got one in the previous recruiting class that's still a running back group in my opinion that can go three deep throughout the season it's a need it definitely is a need Matt I'm not shying away from that when it comes to recruiting but who's gonna play this upcoming year I think you have a core of three that you can lean on and you can lean on heavily. And then you're going to mix in some of the H backs. there, like a Mikey Henderson. So on the defensive line though, you're getting Jalen Redmond back. You're getting Jalen Redmond back. I just don't know that he would have as big of an impact given what we saw from Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas is going to dictate just how good these, this pass rush is. But more importantly, you still have the guys in the middle. You have Perry and Winfrey and you have Josh Ellison Mm -hmm. who just my take here. Those are the two guys that really opened things up for the defensive ends and whether that was with Ronnie Perkins or whether that was without, but what we saw out of this defense was a completely different mindset when Ronnie Perkins stepped onto the field. Right. I I think there's, there's two ways
0: to look at this. There there's what you just said, which I I agree with a hundred percent, but I also think the other side of that, which I think I can agree with as well is that early in the season against Kansas state against Iowa state, you still saw solid defensive efforts. Now you didn't get quite the pass rush that you that you saw. Well, I mean, post Ronnie, Ronnie Perkins. Perkins
1: finishes number three in sacks and tackles for loss on this but, team, but
0: but still, in you, half
1: as many games. You
0: think about the Texas game. You think about the TCU game. You really see these guys, like you mentioned, Isaiah Thomas, start to really kind of come into their own. Nick Benito coming into his own on that edge rusher, that jackbacker position. I think it's a wash, honestly. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. This is kind of a trick question for me because I don't know that you can say Ronnie Perkins hurts worse than, uh, than Ramondre Stevenson or Ramondre Stevenson hurts worse than Ronnie Perkins because the reality is the running game wasn't working until you get really to TCU. And then you played a, a, a very soft defense in TCU. The running game took off. It exploded at Texas Tech, which is when Ronnie Perkins came back. So, based on what we saw in 2020, I think Romanja Stevenson was missed more than Ronnie Perkins. But now, when you look at personnel groups, Jalen Redmond coming back, Kennedy Brooks coming back, to me, it's a wash.
1: Well, Kennedy Brooks, and this is why I lean towards it being R- Ronnie Perkins. Kennedy Brooks was the leading rusher on the team two years running.
0: Yeah. all of a sudden, I mean, he's got 2,000 yards logged in the first two seasons. All of a sudden, he opts out. That was a major loss. Well, let me ask you this. If Kennedy Brooks doesn't opt out, is Oklahoma in the in the playoff,
1: or are they in the Cotton Bowl? They're in the playoff, undoubtedly to me. Okay. No, I mean you – You're trying to get me to switch my answer, but I'm still going. Future-wise, the, the loss of Ronnie Perkins hurts worse.
0: Okay. Okay, here we go. Let's move on to number four then. Sticking with football, Big 12 championship, Oklahoma beat Iowa State. It was the second time around for both of these teams. If you listen to Cyclone fans, they won the regular season Big 12 championship, even though that's not even a thing.
1: It isn't basketball. Here's
0: the statement. (laughs) Oklahoma and Iowa State will be number one and number two heading into the Big 12 next season. We've talked about this, but now you know who's coming back on both teams. You know who's leaving on both teams. Here it is. They'll be number one and number two as Big 12 play begins next season. Man.
1: That That's a good question.
0: I know. That's why I came up with it.
1: And it's largely because Texas is still the X factor in all of Casey this. Casey Thompson, baby! When you look at the name on the jersey, I think Texas gets some undeserved respect, mm-hmm. some undeserved or unearned confidence as well. And it's very, very possible that Texas is bumped up into that number two spot But preseason, I'm just going to roll with it, Matt. I'm going to say true, Oklahoma, number one, Iowa State, number two.
0: Okay, final question. Just a few seasons after winning the franchise's first ever Super Bowl, the Eagles have fired Doug Peterson as their head coach. One of the hot names to replace him is none other than Lincoln Riley. True or false? There's no need for Oklahoma fans to worry about Lincoln Riley and NFL rumors.
1: (laughs) That's true. That's very much so true. I, I think Lincoln Riley, number one, is at a place where there's not a lot of pressure on him as long as he keeps winning. If you were to walk into the locker room in Philadelphia, number one, you're dealing not with players that you recruited, but players who are on a payroll along with yourself, and you have to create a culture, a completely different culture. And unfortunately for for me, Matt, the biggest comparison that I can draw is a guy like Chip Kelly, who was an offensive mind, Mm -hmm. who came from the college ranks as one of the the hottest commodities on the market, jumped into the equation, guess where? Philadelphia. And it just didn't pan out. For him, I'm not saying that that would be the case for Lincoln Riley because I I think that Cliff Kingsbury may have a very bright future ahead of him in the NFL, assuming that he can keep that team together and keep the quarterback in place more specifically. But when it comes to Philadelphia and Lincoln Riley, I just don't think there's a lot of issues um, or a lot of things to consider if you're an Oklahoma fan or if you're Lincoln Riley because, one, the money's there at Oklahoma you're winning at Oklahoma, everybody loves you, and you're expected to compete, if not win a national championship within the next three years. That's not the case at Philadelphia. And how big of a pay raise would he actually get, if any? Well, right, and that's that's an important thing to keep in mind. I wrote about
0: that when it was all all the Dallas Cowboy rumors were going on last year, is that there's not really much more the Cowboys can offer Lincoln Riley financially than what he's getting from the university mm-hmm. of Oklahoma. And then when you talk about job stability, you know, that, that, that's a long way, you know? Um, but this comes up every year and every year and it will we continue. Yeah. Every year we see fans freak out. And so I just thought that'd be kind of a fun question to throw in there
1: at the yeah, end. It made me nervous. Cause I don't, I don't really pay attention to the NFL. Don't know what's going on there. And you're popping off with these Philly Philadelphia Eagles questions. Well, there you
0: have it. All right. We got more football talk coming up. Okay, so I want to jump back here to recruiting here. 2021, I don't believe this class has finished just yet. I really don't. 16 players, we've talked about it, in, in the class. It ranks number one in the Big 12. They were number two last year in the Big 12. They're number 10 nationally right now. They were number 12 last year is where they finished. Rich, this is a, a group that um, that spans multiple states, multiple positions, but you think that there might be some needs that still need to be filled.
1: Let me hear your thoughts here, buddy. Number one, um, I know that Oklahoma has a plethora of defensive recruits for this cycle. So I don't believe the the major components that are missing or lacking exist on the defensive side of the ball. I wanted to throw that out as my disclaimer, but I don't know what I'm talking about apparently because I'm not a recruiting expert. When it comes down to it, Matt, I'm looking at this this. Team, and I'm saying the fact that they lost out on Jace McClellan last year and the fact that they missed out on Samar Wheaton this year signifies that they need a running back. Okay. I know that typically when you look at college football programs, they have five to six scholarship running backs on the roster. That's not going to be the case for Oklahoma moving forward as some of these players specifically TJ Pledger has Mm -hmm. entered the transfer portal. I do think there's room for a running back. I do think there's an option that exists, which I've already mentioned previously on this podcast, which is LJ Johnson, who, by the way, if you're not familiar with that name, showed a verbal interest in Oklahoma when he released his top four. I believe that was back in November. So before the early signing period had opened, Oklahoma was listed as one of the top four candidates to earn his commitment, and he still remains out there as a guy who could potentially commit to this Sooners program. So running back is a necessity in my opinion. I think Oklahoma in the offensive line could use some help in the recruiting department. That's not a knock against Bill Bedenboe. Don't take it as such, but it's It's to say that there have not been these big hitting recruits. Oklahoma, I am aware, does have some offensive line recruits who have signed in this class, but I do believe they would have liked to add at least one more name, if not two names, to that incoming class, to that roster, just for depth purposes, as well as an attempt to get these guys who are a little more versatile can play mm-hmm. any, any spot along the line, because we know that anything can happen in any given season, especially while we're waiting on a decision and what's really going to happen with a guy. Like I wanted to say Eric Wren is that his last name? Eric Wren played several That's seasons not it. ago. Who am I thinking of? I have no idea. On who you're the left side of... of the offensive line. There were is some issues. Yes. Eric Swinson. Okay. Thank you. That's really close, right? Sure, Eric Swinson. I know that there's a, a pending. Nobody knows what's happening. He's I don't, with I him.
0: Don't, no, look there. There have been some. There have been some decisions that have really kind of made me go, hmm. With the NFL, um, with people going to the NFL, one of them is on the offensive line. I don't see. I mean, Eric Swinson's a redshirt senior. He he has the opportunity to come back.
1: He would be so smart to take advantage of that. I get that, Matt. I told you in a in a couple of episodes ago that I think that he would look at the coaching route and become a, as a GA. GA. Right. I don't know that, but I can see that being his future. More importantly, being in his immediate right. future. Needless to say, Oklahoma, in my opinion, still needs to get one. I I thought they would have liked to add one at least if not two names to that offensive line in the 2021 recruiting class in the last position, Matt, it's going to be wide receiver. And it's not because they didn't recruit these players. It's not because they don't have commitments. In fact, they've got some, some pretty lofty names that are incoming as well as other future stars who are just sitting on the roster at this point in time. But when you look at the the loss of Charleston Rambo, I know that's going to jumble things up a little bit. I think you're going to lose a handful of players from that position to the NFL within the next two years. It's where's that next group? Where's that depth coming from? So again, I would have loved to see Oklahoma add at least one more for depth, depth purposes.
0: Okay. So let, let's, let's kind of go through this uh, position that you mentioned, but let me ask you this before we do that. Do you consider getting play? This is the way I look at it. Maybe I'm just crazy. Okay. Do you consider getting players back players who opted out to me? That's like, you just landed a new recruit. For example, (laughs) I mean, look, you don't have a running back in this 2021 class right now, but you got Kennedy Brooks. Right. right? Is that? I mean, you you've got a player that you didn't have the, in 2020. You you've got him in 21.
1: Yeah, it's almost as if it were a a transfer. Someone who yeah, has experience. Okay. Yeah, I can I can that. Who's been in a college weight room, but is joining the the team not for the first time when it comes to these names, mm. but essentially joining, rejoining, joining for the first time. However, you'd like to label that.
0: So uh, you're running back. Here's your depth chart going into the Cotton Bowl against Florida. Ramondre Stevenson, he's gone. Marcus Major, Seth McGowan. Now, we hadn't seen Marcus Major really since the Texas game. Right. And he played good in that Texas game. Mm-hmm. Wasn't outstanding, but he was good. And he scored a touchdown, had a big run. It was to... To my recollection, it's the best we had seen Marcus Major until he shows up at the Cotton Bowl and he steamrolls Florida for over 100 yards on nine carries and a touchdown. It was the first time, the the Cotton Bowl was the first time I'd seen Marcus Major play college football where he looked like the high school version of himself. You know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fair statement. But here's my question. Ramondre is gone. Marcus Major's back. Clearly. Seth McGowan is back. Clearly. You're gonna add you're gonna add another experienced running back in Kennedy Brooks. He's gonna be number one in the depth chart. So you just sub out Ramondre Stevenson for Kennedy Brooks. Does that depth chart change at all to you?
1: Not not really. By the way it's it's not gonna change at the beginning of the year. By the way, uh if you if you take Kennedy Brooks,
0: from um Marcus Major and Seth McGowan, for the for the course of their careers, a very short young career for Major and McGowan, and then you add Kennedy Brooks in that mix. Do you know what their average yard precarious? I do. Is?
1: Because <laughs> you the, read the, Heartland the, Sports, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say the only reason I know is because you had published an article. Six point three is that? Yeah.
0: Is, six, so okay. so this is a this is a backfield that's going to go into the season. Averaging 6.3 yards per carry, which is way better than what they went into 2020 with. And I get it. I don't want to take anything away from losing Ramondre Stevenson. Don't want to do that at all. But th- they went into 2020 with TJ Pledger, Marcus Major, and Seth McGowan. That is a ton of talent, but is a ton of inexperience. Mm-hmm. And they were nowhere close to 6.3 yards collectively because Seth McGowan hadn't even played college football. Going into the season, the very first, and and then here he is, game one against Missouri State. So you're already ahead of the curve, so to speak, and the running back position, right? Right. So then you move on to the offensive line, where you lose. I mean, you're not going to replace Creed Humphrey.
1: Adrian Ely, Creed Humphrey, and you think Swinson maybe? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) But okay, so you're not. So follow me here. Mm -hmm. You're not going to replace Creed Humphrey. But you've got a pretty good option there with him,
1: and in in your. Tra- Go ahead. No, I was going to ask who are you looking at? Christopher because Murray, Chris from, Murray, yeah. and, and Ian McIver are obviously the two options that everybody's going to begin to talk about. But only one of those
0: guys is a is a former freshman All American, right? And so I think that's Murray can play every spot on the off, on the offensive line. That was the good thing about when he transferred from UCLA. To Oklahoma, you're like, we're getting a guy that – I mean, he's a utility guy. He can go anywhere. Right. But you're also getting Stacy Wilkins back. He opted out. He's coming back. So you lost two. You're getting two, so to speak, with Chris Murray being fully eligible to play for the entire season to get in there and get those reps. I still don't say – I still and, – and then you got two in the in the recruiting class. I'm not going to say this offensive line is going to be as strong as what they were going into 2020, but let's also not forget this offensive line struggled at the beginning of
1: 2020 because they were out of shape. And I'm going to throw another wrench into this entire conversation because I do believe that Oklahoma has some very, very capable young players on this roster that happen to have the offensive line label attached to them, which is a guy like Bray Walker, right? Highly talented, Highly recruited player out of the Oklahoma City area. Mm-hmm. I know it's south of Oklahoma City. You've you can also got say more. It's yeah, okay you, to say you, that you've also got Andrew Rame, who sits on that roster. And he another may be, another Rain, kid from Rain Oklahoma. May be a
0: kid that you look at also to come to battle Chris Murray for the center position. By the way, I don't think like Ian McIver. Uh, McIver, I I don't want to slide a kid. I mean, he he's young. No, he's not. He's a junior, isn't he? I want to say he's young, but he's not. He's no. an experienced guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ray is the freshman. As, right. But I, I, I think that that position is going to come down between Raym and Murray. Well,
1: and lastly was Anton Harrison. Right. A big surprise another another of, young guy. A big surprise of game number one. When you see his name listed there as one of the five starting offensive linemen, there's capability there, Matt. And in fact, we even saw him in that bowl game when guess who started struggling? Eric Swenson. There's no, options right. on the offensive line. I'm looking at it from a depth perspective. But when we're asking the that true, that's false. the
0: point I'm making. When you look at depth, you're losing two, but really you're gaining two. Running back, you're losing two, but you're gaining. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're gaining. Now you're still down numbers with with TJ Pledger gone, but you you lose a big time back in Ramondre Stevenson. You get one back in Kennedy Brooks opting back in. You lose numbers. You get Stacy Wilkins back. You get Christopher Murray for a full season. I I just I don't see I, I don't see a very big step backwards when it comes to this offensive line. And it's the same story when you get to um when you, when you get to the receiver position. You lose Charleston Rambo, which is a little bit of a surprise, but then it's not a surprise because mm-hmm. we literally watch this guy. Do you realize that he caught his first two touchdown passes of the season against where? Missouri State. And then when was his next touchdown? Did Was
1: it two against Missouri
0: State? Yeah, two against Missouri State. He said two
1: against Missouri State, and the next one was against Florida.
0: Yeah, so we literally watched this guy disappear to the likes of Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss. I mean, this is the guy we thought was going to be the spotlight dude, and we watched him just kind of fade out. Okay, so when you lose him, think about what you're getting back. One, one other thought here. And, and I know the guy was there. He was there during the season. But Theo Howard coming back is a big, big deal for this team. Did not have a great season in 2020. But let's not forget, Theo Howard ruptured his Achilles. We've forgotten about that. Here's a guy that ruptured his Achilles and missed a lot of practice time going into the season. Now we've seen him play. We've seen him get experience in this system. We know he's a playmaker. We saw him make plays against Oklahoma when the when UCLA came to Norman. We know he's a playmaker. But he was a guy who was just kind of lost in space because he missed so much time in practice. Now you're going to get to see him have a complete offseason with this football program and come back. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm marking it down, January 11, 2021. Here's the statement. Theo Howard will have a season better than what we just saw out of Charleston Rambo. So when you're talking about losing Charleston Rambo, yeah, you lose some talent. But I'm telling you right now, Theo Howard will have a better season in 2021 than Charleston Rambo had in 2020. Bold statement, number one, right there. Take
1: it and write it down. So here's where we're sitting, Matt. When it comes to wide receivers, players who ha, who will actually play and contribute in significant minutes and significant snaps, you're saying Theo Howard's going to be included in that. Yep. We saw Trajan Bridges being also, worked Also don't forget about Jaden Hazelwood. We saw Trajan Bridges being I'm I'm getting there. Okay, slow down. we saw Trajan Bridges being worked into the offense. As a legitimate deep ball threat, Ooh. we saw Theo Weiss become that big bodied receiver who can really go outside or inside, doesn't matter what they ask him to do. He was a very dependable receiver. Jaden Hazelwood was one of the highest ranked recruits that Oklahoma has ever landed at the position of wide receiver, if not the best wide receiver when it comes to ratings out of high school that Oklahoma has ever had on their roster. We expect him to contribute in a major way. Drake Stoops has it has earned his weight here, if you're asking mm-hmm. me. He's earned his keep here with this team. We know that Charleston Rambo's gone. And then you've got Marvin Mims, okay? So count them with me. Marvin Mims, one. Drake Stoops, two. Jaden Hazelwood, three. Theo Weiss, four. Trajan Bridges, five. Theo Howard, six. Do you go deeper than that? Yeah. With who? And all of a sudden, we have a conundrum because there's not a singular name that you can name me that exists on the roster currently. However, you can name some, some players who are coming in.
0: Yeah, because I think Jaleel Farouk and, um, and Mario Williams have the ability, the potential to do what we saw to Marvin Mims. Farouk is, is 6'1", 200. He's a big body mm-hmm. receiver coming on campus.
1: But I'm saying that, that gives you an eight-player rotation. And all of them have to play. They don't have to but they, but, they don't but if you're going to go 4 right. and
0: 5 wide at times and you're also not including the H back in there mm-hmm. as well. I just look there's there's not a numbers game. I don't I I like Charleston Rambo. It, it, when when you look at all of the all of the losses of starters, guys who started on this team. Guy I mean look, Finn Corwin, good luck buddy, okay? But when I'm talking about guys who actually played minutes and 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 crucial minutes, I think I really, honestly, Charleston Rambo is at the bottom of the list to me because there's so much depth there and there's quality depth that even if you shore it up and you go with a shorter rotation of five to six guys, I don't think it hurts you, but I, I do think it's going to be deeper than that because I think some of these freshmen are coming to play. I think Mario Williams coming oh, yeah. to play sure. Farouk, coming to play Oh yeah, and, and don't sleep for on sure. Cody Jackson either.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm saying, Matt, that, that Oklahoma has an extremely talented group of players, but I, I, I still see them in terms of having scholarship players on the roster, I, I don't see that number cutting it. At the, at the receiver position. So you think it there should be more? It just doesn't work for me. Like I said, one more. One, I, no, I, I one would be, more. No, I
0: would be shocked if they get one more. I really would Okay, be. maybe... Maybe a tight end, though, because there's a, <clears throat> a name out there that you can Google and find, <laughs> transfer from LSU, who may end up on this roster next fall. <laughs> I don't know about eligibility immediately, but... And, and
1: there's also an offensive lineman from Tennessee yeah. who's being linked to Oklahoma. Right. This is weird, is it not? Because didn't, didn't I just say these were the positions where Oklahoma could add a name to well, this recruiting I don't, class.
0: Well, I, I don't count adding a tight end as adding a receiver. I don't either. A different position. I don't either.
1: I, I agree with that. But we are saying offensive line. I'm not saying that they're going to add a receiver. I think they're set with the walk-ons that exist on the roster. There's plenty of depth there. They'll use them if they need to. But most likely, Drake Stoops is the only walk-on that's going to see significant minutes.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. So let's slip sides. Wow, that didn't sound right. Let's switch sides.
1: Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
0: When you look at the defensive side of the ball, notable guys, I think the most most damaging guys are in the secondary. I know what you're going to say about Ronnie Parkins. I get it. But you lose Trey Norwood. We've talked about it. That means right now, Brendan Radley-Hiles is your nickelback. Until someone comes up and pushes him out of the way, Brandon Radley Hiles is the nickelback. And then you you lose Trey Brown. So that means you've got to go. And by the way, this was a good group in the Cotton Bowl. Jaden Davis, DJ Graham. The, the the future seems really bright for or DJ. Woody Grimm. Washington. Woody Washington, Josh Eaton on the other side. And Josh Eaton's the biggest of those guys. Mm-hmm. And we know that that Alex Grinch wants to go bigger in the secondary, and you look at a guy 6'2", 175 as a freshman, made his debut against Texas. This is a guy you think about the big interception in the Bedlam game. Sorry, that was uh, DJ Graham and the big interception in the Bedlam game. But you, you think about these guys and going into the off season, going into spring ball. What's going to happen? The the biggest news for me. Defensively, is not Ronnie Perkins leaving because we've talked about the names, and a name we didn't mention was Marcus Stripling. But we, we've talked about the Isaiah Thomases. we talked about the LaRon Stokes, we talked about the Jalen Redmonds. There are bodies there, there are names there that I think given another year of growth, because let's not forget, Ronnie Perkins came on in the year of Kenneth Murray, right? Who came on in the year of Ronnie Perkins? Isaiah Thomas, did he not? And then Coy Robertson. Probably the guy we don't talk about enough this year. Koy Robertson, 6'4, 288. And he gave good minutes for this defensive line at, at that nose guard position. And they can slide him out. So there are guys there that are that should it's not it's not it's it's not unfair to expect him to take a giant leap from 20 to 21. Specifically, those guys I mentioned, Isaiah Thomas, Coy Robertson, we already talked about Perry and Winfrey, Reggie Grimes. Um, So, the biggest news on the defense, in my opinion, Nick Benito announcing that he's coming back. Because you lose that rush linebacker, tell me who's behind him.
1: Not a clue. Right, exactly. Well, I, I would have initially said a guy like John Michael Terry, but well, actually, he's out. John, right, actually, John Michael Terry
0: is the guy behind him, and
1: as you he's mentioned, uh-huh. he's gone. And there's there's just not another name that comes to mind. Well,
0: you've got a couple of freshmen there, and Brendan Walker and Joseph Witi, um, and and they're freshmen, okay. And and with all due respect, and I I know Nick Benito's only a sophomore. But Nick Benito, after coming on the scene, really the Baylor game was his come out moment, the the complete the comeback with the interception. But coming on the scene in 2019 and exploding in 2020, I think you've got one more year of Nick Benito, and then he's gone. He's a registered sophomore. He could have gone this year. He's going next year. But having him back is probably the most instrumental uh, thing that happened to this defense to this point. Ronnie Perkins was expected. Trey Noir was expected. Trey Brown was expected. Nick Benito coming back, huge news for this defense.
1: I do agree. And a lot of what Oklahoma needs to do is alleviate the pressure from that secondary. Where does that come from? We've talked on numerous occasions that it comes from the pass rush. And who better to have in the pass pass rush? Role Then a guy like Nick Benito, who found more success as they began to open things up for him and task him with a specific job of getting into the backfield and being disruptive. Now, Nick Benito, I do think, has enough speed that they can confuse defenses. He's this integral part of the defense in that if he's asked to drop in a coverage, he can, and he's not an absolute 100% liability. There is that opportunity for him to jump up. Grab the ball, knock it away, or at least make a tackle after the ball is caught.
0: Ask Charlie Brewer what he's lacking like coverage. Because, I mean, again, he sealed the comeback in Waco. Right. And that was as a redshirt freshman. Yeah, I mean, when you, I think when you look at this defense, again, I, I don't want to downplay losing Ronnie Perkins. I really don't. But I, I don't see any reason why the defense can't take another step right. forward in 21. There's, there's the personnel wise. There's no one there that would make you think, you know, they're going to be worse except for the, the, the exception is the nickelback position. Someone has to come in there and maybe it's Buki. Maybe he finally gets it all together in his final season of college football. Maybe all the cards come together for him and, and it it works, right? Maybe, but I, I think you would rather have somebody push him just in case, right? Like Trey Norwood did.
1: Right. Matt, the one thing I'll say about the front seven is a lot of our expectations for that twenty, the 2020 season were set pretty early on. Because, one, we didn't know exactly when Ronnie Perkins would be cleared. The expectation was that it would be five games into the season. That is what ultimately happened. But there were names that that basically became household names before Ronnie Perkins ever stepped onto the mm-hmm. field, if you're an Oklahoma Sooners fan. And so when I look at the front seven, I'm saying they can have very similar numbers. I don't expect a major leap forward. I do expect this though. I do expect Isaiah Thomas to become the focal point for offensive coordinators of opposing teams. And whoever's That's gonna f- whoever's gonna fill that role, a Jalen Redman on the other side could potentially wreak havoc, much like Ronnie Perkins did or like, excuse me, much like Isaiah Thomas did this year after Perkins came back.
0: No, that's fair. I, I think that's, that's completely a fair statement. All right. So here's what we want you to do. Hit us up where you think yeah, we're right, where you think we're wrong, where you agree, where you disagree. You can find us on Twitter at sports Heartland. You can find us on their internet, heartland-sports.com. You can always send us an email, heartland-sports at yahoo.com. Thanks so much for subscribing to the Sooner Nation podcast. Give us a like, give us a good review and uh, have a great week, everybody. Boomer Mm -hmm. Sooner.